Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Greetings, programs, and welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So sorry we had to take last week off. It's that time of year again where Derek's job takes him away from us and we can't do a show. So what's funny is that this past Tuesday where we were supposed to record was the day before opening day. And I had everything planned where I was you know, going to try and come home, do the show, and then get a good night's rest before you know, I have to work for 13 hours for the next five days. So about 5 o'clock, I find out that I have to go to this. It's not an impromptu meeting, but it was one of those that it was never really said if I had to go to it or not. And then, of course, an hour beforehand, I find out that, you know... I have to go to it. So mm-hmm. that that ran into when we would have recorded the show. So my bad. Ah, well, that's okay. It gave me another week to to play the game that we're talking about tonight. Yeah, we're actually doing a, a co-review, which yes, will be pretty cool. Yes, we are. But yeah, other than that, you know, first homestand was very busy. Um, it went Wednesday through Sunday. The cool thing is that Sunday's game was at 1 o'clock. So it ended, I think, around like 3.30, 3.45. So I was home by 5.30. So I still had you know, the rest of the day to just kind of decompress and just kind of relaxed at home. And this week has been um, a bit more normal. Um, we have another homestand that starts on Saturday. So won't, uh, won't have a weekend, but I'll have an extended one the following week. So That's cool. That'll be nice. I haven't done too much the last couple of weeks other than try to relax as much as possible. I'm kind of enjoying my newfound freedom where I get to play video games all night, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. But there's this game that I downloaded on the Switch called uh, Gems of War, and mm-hmm. it's totally free. And it's um, it's kind of a match three gym type of game, uh, but it's like kind of like an RPG where you unlock these kingdoms and you have like different uh, classes you can play and then you collect um, you go through the game and you like defeat these king like do all the the quests that are in these kingdoms and you like unlock other characters and stuff that you take with you on your team uh, and you can have like you know different a uh, couple of different teams that you can take with you. Uh, that you can switch around um, depending on what kind of enemies you're coming up against and stuff like that. But you sort of, uh, you take these different, like you go through and you collect like money and gems and things like that. And you kind of uh, level up your, your characters and uh, each character you get is kind of like a, a card. And it's like a, it's kind of almost like playing Magic the Gathering, but it's like, uh, it's, it's, but it's a match three gym game fighting game it's it's hard to describe but 
I'm so addicted. I might actually have to get take it off of my Switch because I've played it a little too much the last week or so. <laughs> no, I can I can understand that, but that actually sounds like a really cool game. You said it was called Gem of War. Yes, yeah, called Gems of War. And Gems it, of War. Okay. It is. It it might still be free. Um, I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but when I downloaded it, it was free and uh, completely worth. I mean, it does have some in-game purchase stuff that you can do, but it's nothing that you really need. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy gems to level up faster or, what, or whatever, but I'm having fun just playing the free version. Like you don't need to spend any money in it and it's fantastic. Like it's totally worth downloading. I'll have to do that because, you know, it- for the rest of the week, I'll have some time to actually play video games. So yeah. that might be one I check out. Dude, do it. And uh, let me know what you think, because I've been having a blast with it, and I can't stop playing it. Like, it's addictive as hell. Awesome. Now I know why people got so uh, addicted to Candy Crush for a long time, because <laughs> it's that type of gameplay, but it's so much more. God, I remember when that game first, like, became really big and i was getting invites on facebook Mm -hmm. all the time to play candy crush but it's that game mechanic but it's so much more like you you have uh different uh moves you can do like different weapons and like all kind of different strategies and it's crazy good i highly recommend it but if you're if you're easily addicted to that type of gameplay i i would say stay far far away (laughs) No, I'll have to give it a try sometime this week. You should. Let me know what you think. Yeah. But um, let's go ahead and move into the news, shall we? Sure. Some of this news might be a little bit old because it was put into our doc last week, but that's okay. We'll, we uh, we still should do it. Um, on from NintendoLife.com, Arcade Archives Donkey Kong Three blasts on the Switch last week. Um, uh, see, Hamster has revealed the next game in its ever-growing Arcade Archives series on Switch, and this time it is Donkey Kong Three. Uh, also launching on the NS three years after its arcade debut, it is perhaps unsurprisingly the third entry in the original Donkey Kong series. Naturally, official footage of isn't the easiest to come by, but they've shared gameplay video from YouTube below with a description of the game. Um, that's one of the weird things. Like I don't remember Donkey Kong three ever being out on very many consoles as far as like the nes or anything like i don't remember it being on the nes i remember hearing about this game you know when the when i first really got access to the internet and i was researching you know all types of classic games like i knew of the original donkey kong i knew donkey kong jr i had no idea until then that there was a third one yeah i played it in the arcade and i remember playing this game a lot in the arcade and uh, reading more about it over the last couple of years, um, th- they talked about it on the uh, the video game years too. I think it was. Um, there was also was it uh, was it the angry video game nerd did one on Donkey Kong Three? Might have been, or maybe it was the um, 
the game um, historian, maybe gaming historian. I don't know. I watched something on YouTube about Donkey Kong Three, and it wasn't received very well. And they didn't really make a, a lot of copies of it because it really didn't fit in with Donkey Kong. It was a completely different uh, play type, you know, uh, game mechanic than the previous Donkey Kong. So I don't think people took to it very well because it was so different. Yeah, from what I've read about it and what I'm reading in the description here is that the gameplay is completely different. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with Mario, and he was in the first two. So it's it's like that movie sequel that is kind of there just yeah. to try and cash off the name value. It's the Highlander 2 of the Donkey Kong series. <laughs> uh, Highlander 2. You can um, hear about that on the Defending Bad Movies panel yes. on the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Um, we should do a, uh, we should do a um, commentary track for that movie with Wally. Oh, with Highlander 2? Yeah, that movie's oh, so that bad. Be... <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen Highlander 1. Really? Really, Dude, Highlander yeah. one is great. That's one of my favorite movies. But man, part two is just complete. It has nothing to do with the first movie. Like it just took everything the first movie did and just shit all over it. <laughs> really, but um, uh, but you mentioned it didn't have Mario in this game. To get back to Donkey Kong three, but the hero of this game is Stanley. And basically, what happens in the game is Donkey Kong is trying to. Uh, he's in a botanical garden. And he keeps trying to, I guess, trying to steal the flowers or something. And you have to run underneath him with a, a bug sprayer. And you shoot up. And you basically shoot right into Donkey Kong's ass to make him climb back up the vines. But there's also bugs coming around that you have to spray. And it's it's a, it's a it's almost like a... a Almost like a Space Invaders type of game, but Donkey Kong, it's kind of weird. Because nothing says heroic like a guy named Stanley yeah. using bug spray. <laughs> and we never seen Stanley since. And we never saw him again. <laughs> they should put him in a, should put him as a special character in Smash Brothers. Oh, I'd laugh my ass off if that happened. <laughs> Only the, the uh, deep dive hardcore fans would know who who that was. I would give Nintendo credit for that um, for that level of trolling. Oh yeah. <laughs> but our next story comes to us from TechCrunch.com. Nintendo is is bringing Zelda and Mario into virtual reality. Nintendo's Labo VR kit may just be a little cardboard experiment, but Nintendo is taking a chance on throwing its most beloved titles into the headset. The company announced they will be adding support to play two of the Switch's flagship titles, which are Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Um, there's a video on this um, on the article that Nintendo posted on Twitter uh, where it kind of gives you a little glimpse into what the games look like. The first thing I thought of was Virtual Boy. Yeah, that's what everybody's been saying about this. But we talked about this a, long, uh, a while back, telling you this is Nintendo dipping their toe back into the VR space, man. I think if anybody's going to be able to bring VR into the mainstream, it's going to be Nintendo. Telling you. I'm betting betting my life on it. I don't disagree with you. 
I've just never really been that big into virtual reality. Like, I think the concept of it is cool, but I don't know. It just is never really appealed to me that much. Well, me neither. But that's exactly what I'm saying is if anybody can bring VR into the mainstream to where people like us will throw down hard-earned money on a, a VR set, it's going to be Nintendo. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, I think their whole, even though I've never tried it, I think the concept of all their Labo kits are really cool. Yeah. I watched a little demo of it uh, actually before we started because I've never, like, I know what it is, but I've never really seen it in action. And it looks really cool. There was a video of uh, this girl building a, like a piano out of a cardboard box. Yeah. And then connected her switch to it and started playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Yeah. So it says here, um, it made enough sense with the Labo experiences because those are designed to be fast and fun. Tech specs be damned. Hmm. But when Nintendo suggests tossing yourself into a 50-hour epic like Breath of the Wild, they're offering you a, a tacit endorsement that you'll be able to play these VR games for a while. The guy says, I haven't tested virtual reality Breath of the Wild yet, but something tells me that Mario or Zelda in glorious 360p per eye resolution doesn't make for the game of a lifetime. There's also no evidence that you're going to have any sort of different point of view perspective for which they've enabled gameplay. So you'll still be playing in third person. Yeah. Well, so that, I mean... that, that I don't really see as being, you know, it's not any different than playing it, you know, traditionally. Yeah. So if, if, they, if they go into the VR sense, like you say that you think they will, it has to offer the first person perspective. Yeah. Like, I, I would love to try a virtual reality Zelda game just to see what it's like. Well, they said they a, have started working on Mario game. Yeah, they said they have started working on a new Zelda game that they want to have out before, uh, you know, the the end of the Switch lifetime. So mm-hmm. that's what three years from now, maybe. So yeah. what if that next Zelda game does have the first person and it is available? What if Nintendo's next iteration beyond the Switch is a VR machine or something that could be a VR machine? Well, it could very well happen because, as we know, Nintendo is not afraid to try new things. I mean, look at what they're doing with the Switch. You know, it's yeah. it's the first hybrid console, at least, you know, from what I can remember. And the, the Wii U was leaning in that direction with the gamepad, but it still had the physical console that you had to have plugged in and you could only play you know a certain i think a certain distance away from the console with the gamepad yeah so i i could definitely see it and if they do it i think that they will do it well i just think that the switch itself is the perfect way to to have something in vr because you've got all you would need to get is the you know the goggles and then you put the the switch or whatever the next iteration of the switch is in that, you know, the, the headset and you've got your VR ready to go. I mean, it's, it's right there, you know, and imagine playing, uh, uh, Mario Kart and VR. I think that would be awesome. That, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be so fun. Like I'm excited for it. If they do something with VR, I'm in a hundred percent If Nintendo comes out with their next console. And so this is, uh, even if it's just an upgrade to the Switch and say, and comes with a VR headset, I'm down. 
Yeah, no, I'll definitely give them a shot because, like yeah. you said, if anybody can do it, it's Nintendo. Absolutely. Uh, one more story uh, for the news tonight. This is also from NintendoLife.com. Japanese trailers show off more details of the upcoming Sega Mega Drive Mini, or the Genesis as it's known in uh, the North American region. Following the backlash against the product that was initially launched last year, it seems Sega is really pulling out all the stops after taking its Jenny Genesis Mini console back to the drawing board. Not only is the emulation now being handled by veteran company M2, the outfit responsible for the brilliant Sega 3D Classics line on 3DS, as well as countless other uh, top-class ports, but it seems the physical casing itself is a significant step up from the previous licensed effort. A pair of Japanese trailers have given us a better look at the console and appears to go above and beyond even Nintendo's efforts. Um, the highlights feature the console itself and give a peek at the save state menus. Uh, it's, uh, they're in Japanese, of course, and there's a, uh, there's a video on the site here. It's at NintendoLife.com, uh, but you can see... Um, uh, skip to 48 seconds and you'll see all the buttons on the console being pressed which appear to function as they always did however the big surprise is the functioning cartridge slot doors of course that doesn't mean you'll be able to play original carts in it but it's purely a decorative addition um, second trailer gives an overview of the 10 announced titles for the japanese version um with menu music by Yuzo Koshiro, the inclusion of some hard-to-find classics like Castlevania Bloodlines and the evolving M2, this is shaping up to rival Nintendo's Mini Classics line. So I, I'm pretty excited about this. If they put Castlevania Bloodlines on here, that's going to be awesome. Well, watching the trailer, seeing how the, the Mega Drive or Genesis Mini looks... Mm -hmm. I, I think it's going to be really cool. I know it's just a very minor thing, but the fact that the cartridge doors work <laughs> is, is pretty awesome. It just shows the attention to detail that they're giving this thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm actually, I, I dare say, I'm pretty close to being all in for this thing. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm more excited about... Oh, sorry. What were you saying? I was going to say that I think this comes out in September, so I'll I'll definitely be getting one. I'm I'm actually more excited about this than I am than I was for the NES and the and the Super Nintendo Classic, honestly. Well, I think the fact that you know the two of us aren't huge like we didn't really grow up with the Genesis, mm -hmm. so getting to play games from that era that we've never experienced before, oh yeah, is going to be pretty awesome. It's it's going to be like I don't know. It's gonna I'm going to feel like a kid again. Like I'm getting to go back and experience the the console that I never had. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. This will be... I, I'm going to pre-order one, and definitely it's going to be a day one pickup for me. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, I may go run to Best Buy this weekend and put my money down on one. You should. Um, But let's go ahead and move into the, uh, this month in video game history, shall we? Sure. In April of 1984, Namco releases... How do you say this? Gapless? The sequel to Galaga. Let me uh, sure. look at the Wikipedia page here. Page here. That's all, that's all I'm going to say it. Gapless. Yeah, that, that's got to be it. It's uh, funny because... Yeah, it says in the U.S. a modification kit was later released to change the name to Galaga 3, possibly to increase recognition. You think? <laughs> Well, yeah, because everybody knows the name Galaga, but yeah. if you mention Gapless, no one's going to know what that is. Mm -mm. I want to say we talked about this last year, 
We may have. But I have never played this game. I have never seen any gameplay of it. No, nothing. Uh, says uh, similar gameplay. Player controls a spaceship that can now move vertically uh, as well as horizontally and shoots at swarms of incoming insect-like aliens. Interesting. So very much like Galaga. Yeah. In April of 1986, Sega releases Wonder Boy, the first in the series. Wonder Boy. Me. Let's see. Originally designed for arcades, it was later ported to the SG-1000, Master System, and Game Gear video game consoles. Hmm. I never saw this game. I didn't either. I, I could have swore that this was coming out for this on the Sega Genesis Mini. Like, did I see that for the in the list of games, or am I just imagining things? Um, let's see. I'm not seeing it listed as that. But then again, it's Wikipedia, so it may not have been updated. Yeah, maybe not. But yeah, this this game apparently spawned five sequels. Wow, which is pretty wild. It it's was out for crazy. everything, though. It was in the arcade, uh, the Master System, Commodore sixty four, uh, the ZX Spectrum, the Game Gear. Wow, even it's been even been out on mobile phone as of two thousand four, Wii Virtual Console in two thousand eight, and the PlayStation four. In 2014. That's crazy. Weird. Yeah. Wally's probably screaming at us right now. Who oh, you never heard of Wonder Boy? <laughs> what do you mean you've never heard of Wonder Boy? <laughs> uh, let's see. April 16th of 1992, Origin Systems releases Ultima 7, the Black Gate for the PC. Now, I do remember us talking about this because... Back in the 80s, there was an Ultima game like every month, pretty much. So it was like the classic Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. They put out, they're still putting out Ultimas to this day. It's just insane to think of, you know, a series that you've never really played or mm -hmm. don't really know that much about, and you find out that it's been around forever and they're still making games for it. Well, my, my first kind of uh, experience with. Um, massively with MMOs was Ultima Online because I knew somebody that played it and it blew my mind that he was playing this game with different people from around the world. And I remember even even back then, this is around like 2000, maybe around 2000, uh, 99, wow. 2000, and he was playing Ultima Online. And I, I remember the graphics just looking like ass like, uh, you know, real polygonal graphics, like uh, N64 era <laughs> graphics, and it just yeah. didn't look great. But I thought it was cool that he was playing online with different people. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Let's see. April 27th of 1992, Nintendo releases Kirby's Dream Land for the Game Boy, the first game in the Kirby series, which is funny because... Up until the game we're going to be reviewing tonight, this was the only Kirby game that I had ever played. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't it even was, know this uh, one was out before the NES one until this, uh, until I put this in the video game history. Like, I was not a Kirby fan. Like, I thought it was complete kid stuff. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah, it was one of those that, you know, it was up there with, you know, the Mario Land games and... Uh, Link's Awakening, 
as far as games that I would play like on road trips. You know, Kirby's Dreamland had a lot of good replayability. To yeah, me. it's it's very straightforward, but it's still very fun. That's cool. Also in April of 1992, April 11th to be exact, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System was launched in Europe. I think I've heard of that system before. I have too. It sounds familiar. Well, you know, it makes me think of, you know, we've had this conversation several times, but it was so prevalent back then that things would come out in Japan first, Mm -hmm. then they would come out in the States, and then they would come out in the UK like months and months later. Yeah. You don't hear about it that much anymore, but back then it was so prevalent. Everything's a global launch these days. Yeah. Kids today don't know the pain of knowing that there's a a new Zelda game that hasn't made it to America yet. And all you can do is read about it in video games. And like, it's been out in Japan for years (laughs) and we're waiting on, you know, the American release to a, a Zelda sequel or, you know, a new Super Mario Brothers or, you know, something you would hear just like, oh, I want to play this so bad, but it's only like a J- Japanese release. Kids today got it so easy. Back in my day, in April of 1996, LucasArts releases Indiana Jones and his desktop adventures. Boy, is that a name straight out of the 90s. Yep. <laughs> for Windows and Apple Macintosh. The game is set in mid-1930s Middle America with a variety of characters, puzzles, and outcomes. The plot, size, and direction of each game are randomly generated at the start, with locations and items being different every time through each storyline, or though each storyline has a pre-scripted resolution. Sounds kind of fun, though, doesn't it? It does. I never played this game. I knew of it, but never played it. I always thought that Indiana Jones game, uh, what was it, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb for the original Xbox. Did you ever play that? I did not. That game was great. I wish they would put out another game like that, sort of. Almost the same kind of gameplay as like Assassin's Creed or something. Like it was that sort of like ex- exploration and like combat, and you could climb on things. Like he had his whip, he had his gun, you had to solve puzzles and all that kind of stuff. So I, they really need to bring back Indiana Jones as a a video game character. No, I think that'd be perfect. I'd love to play that. If you ever get a chance to go back and play that, it's called uh, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, and it's really good. Yeah, like I said, I remembered hearing about it, but never I haven't even seen any gameplay of it. Oh, and it was great because uh, whenever you punch somebody, it was always that great Indiana Jones punch sound. <laughs> and his, his gun was the same sound effect from the movie. It was great. It makes me think of the Indiana Jones stunt show from Disney yeah. World. I, you just I, hear that really loud crack. Yeah, oh, it was I love great. It. I love. It. I could, I go do that every time I go to uh uh um what to Universe, Disney. Yeah, to Disney. What's the name of that park? The MGM. Not M- Jesus, I, I don't know why I keep thinking it's MGM. It's weird. It's uh, what it was back in the day, but that show is exactly the same as it oh, was yeah. when I was a kid. But I still love it every time. It'll never change. It's great. No. I hope they never get rid of it. It will break my heart if they do. I don't think they would. They may change it eventually, but I don't think they'll ever get rid of it. I don't know. They got rid of the great movie ride. Yeah, that sucks. I love the great movie ride. That makes me sad. 
it was the perfect, you know, if you were in Disney in like say June or July and it's mm-hmm. scalding hot, it's the perfect ride to do to just get out of the sun for a little while. Yeah, it was great. I I love that ride. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, but to close this out for this month in video game history, in April of what year was this? 1996, Eidos Interactive acquires Center Gold, Center Gold PLC, which holds Core Design, uh, creator of the Laura Croft character, and U.S. Gold. Hmm. So that's a, you know, I've that's actually, a mouthful. I've actually, yeah. You know, I've actually never played a Tomb Raider game, speaking of Laura Croft. I don't think I have either. I did actually, um, I saw something on Facebook about this the other day. I think, uh, well, they did a Tomb Raider reboot movie um, like a year or two ago. Yeah. And they're actually doing a sequel to it, which makes me happy because the the movie was not terrible. Like, it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it, it, was, it was actually pretty good. It was a, a good, solid action film. See, I never saw it because I hated the first ones with Angelina Jolie. It's only two movies I ever fell asleep in the theater for. Oh, the, this one's much better than those. <laughs> um, but I, let's go ahead and move into our uh, review for tonight, shall we? Yeah. Jaunty little music. Makes me want to go on an adventure. Yeah. But I'll let you lead us off tonight. Sure. So Jason and I will be doing a co-review of Kirby's Adventure, which is a 1993 platform game developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the NES. It is the second game in the Kirby series after Kirby's Dreamland on the Game Boy and the first to include the copy ability which allows the main character Kirby to gain new powers by eating certain enemies. The game centers around Kirby traveling across Dreamland to repair the Star Rod after King DDD breaks it apart and gives the pieces to his minions. So, I mentioned Kirby's Dreamland earlier. You know, it was mm-hmm. one of my favorite games to play for the Game Boy. It didn't take that long to go through because it was a much shorter game than what Kirby's Adventure is. But there was something about the simplicity of it that I thought was kind of charming in its own way. And especially for a kid, it's a game that, you know, you go through. It's not that hard to play, Um, but it had a certain addictive quality to it. That being said, I never played another Kirby game after that until I played Kirby's Adventure on the Switch. And I don't know what drew me to it. But I was like, you know what? I, I don't really know what else to play, so I'll give Kirby's Adventure a try. And I had no idea that this was the first game that implemented the... Because now it's an iconic thing with Kirby is that when you yeah. eat an enemy, he takes their ability. I had completely forgotten. Like That should tell you how long it had been since I played Kirby's Dream Land. That ability is not in that game, which is kind of insane to think about because... Yeah. When you think of Kirby, you think of him, you know, mm-hmm. eating like a knight character, and then all of a sudden he gets a sword, or yeah, he that, inhales I mean, a, a fire enemy, and he can just turn into a fireball. Like that's his total thing, you know. It's like he sucks up an enemy and takes their power. Like that's that. I can't imagine having a game where he doesn't do that. 
Yeah. Like the the game would be completely different if he did not have that ability. Yeah. And I know there's been several other games since then. There was, I think, Kirby Superstar for Super Nintendo. Kirby's Dream Land 3 came out for Super Nintendo as well. Or it might have been, maybe it was 2 and 3. I'll um I'll look that up real quick. Uh Kirby platform games. Uh Kirby's Dream Land 2. Hey, Kirby's Dream Land 2 was for the Game Boy. 3 was for Super Nintendo. Okay. So, yeah, Kirby's Kirby's been around for a while, but uh, I I'm curious as someone who had never played a Kirby game before like what what drew you to it and what did you think of it well honestly it was because I, I did a review for um uh what I do last week uh or the week before I did um god I can't think tonight <laughs> yeah I'm, well, I'm checking let's see because it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded Kid Icarus Kid Icarus good lord I Alzheimer's setting in. <laughs> I did. I was playing Kid Icarus on the Switch for that review, and like I said on that show, that game is really hard, and it's frustratingly hard. So I saw that Kirby's Adventure was on uh, the Switch too. It came out the same month as as Kid Icarus, and I had never played Kirby before. Like it, it the whole aesthetic of the game seemed very childish like it was and i don't mean that in a bad way i just mean it seemed like it was a game for kids like it, it like it would be kind of easy you know like not any kind of challenge or anything like that it just seemed like it was a game made for kids so i just decided to give it a try because i had never played a kirby game before and just never paid kirby any attention whatsoever and i played the first level and instantly fell in love with the game like i started having to pull myself off of playing kirby to actually play kid icarus because <laughs> kid icarus was so frustratingly hard and then you go over to kirby's adventure and it's it has a challenge to it but it's not but it's not easy but it's a fun sort of like you're overpowered as Kirby, <laughs> like because you can take other characters' powers and things like that. But that's what makes the game fun, and that's exactly what Kirby's is. Is it's just a fun game. Like it's got. I can understand why Kirby is still a huge Nintendo character to this day. I mean, he's up there. Like that game. To me, like I can't believe I missed out on this game back in the day because this game is—it's just gotten in the, that Nintendo magic just smeared all over it, just like it's covered in Nintendo juice, <laughs> and it's so good and so fun to play, and the game mechanics are are fun, and like just the the, the character, like it just. It's as much fun to play as like any Mario game or any of the like side scrollers on the Nintendo. Like Kirby's Adventure is I don't have any nostalgia for this game, but you ask me right now, this game is in the top 10 best games ever made for the Nintendo. I don't disagree with that. And I something that stood out to me almost immediately was how good the game looks. Yeah. Because the game came out in 
it came out in Japan in March of 93. Now, the Super Nintendo was already out at this mm-hmm. point. So, you know, still a lot of people don't know that is that Nintendo was still making NES games. Yeah, up until 94. Yeah, and if you look at the screen cap from the actual gameplay, it's got Kirby about to inhale um, a fire character. The the background is very simple, but it's colorful, Mm -hmm. and I think it's perfect for what it's supposed to be. It's a really good-looking nintendo game like it definitely it has a simplicity to it but it's it it's pretty like it's it's super mario brothers 2 pretty you know yeah like how super mario brothers 2 was just really colorful and like it's it's that it's got a very super mario brothers 2 feel to it to me does it does it have that sort of feel to you as well yes yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I guess to, to tell a little bit about the, the story of the game, an evil entity named Nightmare corrupts the Fountain of Dreams, which provides restful sleep to the residents of Dreamland. King DDD steals the star rod that powers the fountain and gives pieces of it to his friends in an effort to stop Nightmare. Kirby, the player character of the single-player game, mistakenly believes that DDD stole the rod for evil and sets out to reunite the pieces. When he defeats DDD and returns the rod to the fountain, Nightmare goes into outer space to spread bad dreams, but Kirby follows him and uses the rod's power to defeat him. And for those who don't know who King DDD is, he's basically a giant penguin. <laughs> but I, I I love the the DDD character. I remember uh, back in, this had to have been the early 2000s, there was a little bit of a comeback for uh, video game animated adaptation so there was a kirby cartoon there was a new sonic cartoon um, i think that that was when the the ninja turtles reboot happened in like 2002 or 2003 and kirby was definitely portrayed more to like the the younger kids yeah but there was still a certain enjoyment out of it and seeing like kirby being kind of brought to life because i i do I consider Kirby in the same league as like a, a Mario or a Link? No, but I would put him definitely in that tier too. Yeah, if you as enjoy far as like iconic characters. Yeah, I mean, if you enjoy playing games like Mega Man and things like that, like this is definitely it's in that same vein. It's not as difficult as Mega Man, but it's got kind of that same like joy to it. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it like that. Just that perfect. Nintendo gameplay and enjoyment about it. Um, it also says here, uh, Kirby's Dream Lane was designed for beginner players, but as a result received criticism from more experienced players looking for a challenge. With Kirby's adventure, Sakurai wanted to retain simple gameplay, but improve it so skilled players would enjoy it. This led to the conception of the copy abilities, which the team hoped would allow players to experiment and improve the replay value. HAL Laboratory created over 40 copy abilities, which, after which they selected their favorites to include in the final game. They also added mini-games because they feared that Kirby ex- Kirby's expanded set of moves would give players the impression that Kirby's Adventure was a difficult game. They were designed to be simpler and easier than the main game. Kirby was also given the ability to run faster and perform a slide attack to increase the game's pace. That's another thing. Like this game kind of kind of smokes. 
like you can get through levels relatively quickly in this game and get to like the final boss and the final boss like as you get further in the game they do get once you figure out the the mechanics of the bosses it gets kind of easy but it's the figuring out of the mechanics that's the difficult part like once you figure out the mechanics it becomes easy to defeat the bosses yeah and the game it consists of 41 levels across seven worlds so it's it's got a pretty lengthy process to it but like you said once you the worlds aren't that long mm-hmm. and once you figure out the mechanics it's fairly easy to get through yeah but i i feel like the 41 levels though is is a is a good number for what this game was yeah um, but like it even says here, like I was going to say this a little while ago, though, I think the reason this game is so good, like they really pushed the limits of the Nintendo by, you know, because it said programmers were skilled with squeezing out power of the eight year old NES hardware by 93. Kirby's spit attack was made stronger if multiple enemies or objects were inhaled, something they had wanted to implement uh, in Kirby's dreamland. Um so yeah, like that, I think that's one of the reasons why this, the, you know, the game looks so good. The the music's good. Um, you know, they were really pushing the NES to the limit at this point. Yeah, for sure. And it's still kind of mind blowing to think that this is an NES game. I know. Like if <laughs> it came out after the Super Nintendo came out. Mm-hmm. Because like, I I never I never really knew of. Kirby's Adventure, you know, growing up, which is kind of crazy to say because I did like Kirby's Dreamland a lot. Yeah. And then I remembered Kirby's Dreamland 3 for the Super Nintendo. But I don't know if it was a, you know, like you I looked at Kirby as being, you know, too childish. Yeah. Or was it because there were so many other games that I was playing and interested in that I just never got around to the rest of the Dreamlands? And I wonder why they didn't make a Super Nintendo version of this game, this particular game, because they did that a lot, you know, for mm-hmm. around this era. There were games that would come out for the Nintendo and a Super uh, Nintendo version of the same game would come out. And this seems like this game would have been perfect for the Super Nintendo. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you think the graphics would probably look slightly better? But well, gameplay-wise, this this would be perfect on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I, I, you and you know, I, the game looks good enough as it is on the Nintendo. Like it, they wouldn't have to do much <laughs> putting it on the Super Nintendo. I mean, the color palette would expand a little bit, but I mean, hell, the the gameplay itself. Like, I can't believe how much fun I had playing this game. Like, I, this playing it on the switch makes me want to go find an inbox copy of this game like i want a complete inbox copy of this game that's how much i love this game that's crazy because i do remember the first time that i think i had mentioned kirby on the show you said that same thing you know that you always looked at it as being you know a game that might be a bit too young for you but it's not <laughs> and i was yeah. so wrong <laughs> i was wrong <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, the, as far as the reception goes, um, it was pretty highly regarded. Um, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it an 8.25 out of 10. GamePro, a 20 out of 20. Uh, CVG, 89%. And Player One, 92%. Uh, 
Uh, Nintendo Power thought the game was more difficult than its cute theme may lead gamers may lead gamers to believe. Joypad believed the game was aimed towards younger children and provided two review scores for gamers over and under 12 years old, huh. with the score for children <coughs> being higher. Uh, they compared the game to Tiny Toon Adventures by Konami, writing that the graphics and sound were better in Tiny Toon Adventures, but Kirby's Adventure had better animation and was more original. Hmm. So, pretty pretty highly regarded, and it was considered one of the best NES games by journalists. Games Radar listed it as the 11th best for the NES, IGN the 27th, and Paste the 15th. Hmm. Wow. I, you know, then, I... As far as a scale for myself, out of 10, you know, it's an easy game, but it's so good. You overlooked that because it's so fun. And I give it a 9 out of 10. I mean, it's, is it as challenging as Super Metroid or, or Metroid or anything like that or Mega Man? No. But it's got that Nintendo magic to it. Like, this game definitely, if, if you have a Nintendo, this needs to be in the collection. Like, this is a game you will play over and over again. Like, this is going to be one of those games that I add to my repertoire of games that I play a lot. Because it's, like, I can't believe how much fun I had playing this game. Yeah, it's definitely up there for me. I, I would lean towards... You know, around the eight and a half to a nine range. You know, it's it's exactly what this game should be. It's not mm-hmm. that complicated. It's just a simple, fun game. And sometimes I think that's a good thing. Not every game has to be as complex as a Zelda or a Metroid. Yeah. You know, it's a game that you can sit and play for 20 minutes and then put it down and you can come back either later that day or the next day or whenever and play it for another 20 or 30 minutes. And it's definitely a great palate cleanser after playing Kid Icarus. Cause, and maybe it was because Kid Icarus was so ridiculously hard and frustrating that when I played Kirby's Adventure, it was such a nice change of pace. But I kept playing Kirby's Adventure, and I'm still playing it, and I still love playing it. So... You know, I take that for what you will, but I highly recommend this game. If you if you were like me or or Derek and you never gave Kirby's Adventure, you know, uh, the time of day because you thought it was a little kids game, like just give it a try. Like it it ranks up there with like Mario to me. Like it reminded me a lot of like Super Mario Brothers two and games like that. No, I I couldn't have said it any better myself. So um, you say 8.5, I give it a 9. So 8.75 between the two of us. I think that's a pretty solid score. Heck yeah. Gotta love some Kirby. Now I'm, and now I think I would uh, play Kirby in uh, Smash Brothers. <laughs> Kirby's a pretty good character in Smash Brothers. Like He's not a regular of mine, but I have used him. And if you know how to use him right, he's he's pretty damn good. That's awesome. Well, it's a great game. I highly recommend it. So let's go ahead and start closing up the show tonight, shall we? Um, anything yeah. you want to uh, to tell the good people before we get out of here? Uh, two things, actually. Uh, yourself, Wallace Phelps, and the great Steve Wise will be gracing the, uh, <laughs> I won't say hallowed halls because that sounds 
really pretentious on my part. <laughs> but um, we'll be coming on to the Derek Diamond experience to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we do have Avengers Endgame coming up yes. uh, well, next week, which is pretty mind blowing that it's already here. So we're going to talk yeah. about you know what we initially thought about the MCU when we first heard about it. You know when the first Iron Man came out and. Just talk about some of our favorite films from the MCU, what we think is going to happen in Endgame, and whatever else we decide to talk about. So that'll uh, that'll be really fun. But I, I meant to mention these things at the start of the show, and I forgot to, so I apologize. I wanted to give a shout-out to Brandon Rutledge because hmm. he came over last week to watch WrestleMania 35 with me, and we sat through the entire seven-and-a-half-hour show. Y'all are that y'all show are champs, is way too long, man. <laughs> Some of it was not great, but uh, no, we we had a good time. It was good getting to you know know Brandon a little bit better. We had some some good conversations about you know retro gaming and just oh, yeah. life stuff in general. Man, I can't believe but, y'all sat through that whole seven hours, man. That's a whoo, that's a haul. So so the pre-show <laughs> started at four. The main show started at six and ended at 1130. Now, the show took place in New York, so it was 1230 in the morning when that show ended. Good Lord. Yeah, they've got to they got to cut at least an hour and a half off that show. Yeah. Or at least cut an hour off the pre-show and then maybe cut like another hour, hour and a half off the main show. Like it it can't it can't be that long. And from what I hear, the Triple H uh, match with um uh, what's his name? Batista went on yeah. for way too long. Yeah, it was like half an hour. Yeah, like that's fifteen minutes, man, tops for a for a wrestling match. Yeah. But the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I can't believe we forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show. What did you think of the Star Wars trailer? Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Like I I'm unapologetic when I say that I love The Last Jedi. I'm not one of the haters that hated on The Last Jedi. I actually liked the movie. I understood what Ryan Johnson was trying to do with that movie. I understand that the, the, the messages he was trying to give with that movie... I was prepared for those things, for the, the, tr- for the storyline to move forward. A lot of people were not uh, ready to move forward, but... Now that JJ's come back in to sort of fix the the storyline, I'm more excited than ever because, dude, I, just, I saw Lando and nearly shit my pants because I'm I, I love me some Lando. Like, how you doing, Chewbacca? I love me some Lando, and then at the end when you hear the 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 Emperor laugh, like I. I lost control of myself and almost started <laughs> weeping openly when I was watching the trailer. So I watched it the day that it was during Star Wars Celebration. It was similar to what they did with The Last Jedi, yeah. where they unveiled the the title, which is The Rise of Skywalker, which that's a whole separate debate as to what that actually means. I think I know what it means, but we'll save that for a later discussion. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it off air. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, I'm watching the end of the panel and they cut to the trailer. And of course, you're hearing the, the crowd reaction. And when it cuts to black and you hear that laugh, 
for one, I almost jumped out of my chair. And then the the lights come back on and Ian McDiarmid, who plays Palpatine, is standing on the stage mm. and everyone's just losing their mind. <laughs> and he's just standing there just like a statue. And then he slowly puts the microphone up to his mouth and he says in his emperor voice, roll it again. And that place just loses it again. <laughs> and they play the trailer a second time. That's awesome. Uh, that I watched it like five times in a row. Same. I watched it. I watched it a couple of times when they released the the HD version. Because the the thing with watching it live at Celebration is the video quality wasn't that great. Because I I didn't see that that object that they get to at the end was a piece of the Death Star. Yeah. Like I had no idea what it was till I watched the the HD version. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. I'm uh... I'm beyond I'm not gonna, excited. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That steals a bit of the thunder from Endgame to me. A little bit, but I'm still pretty excited for Endgame because I did rewatch uh, Captain America, the uh, Winter Soldier the other night. And oh, it's such a good movie. amped me back up for Endgame because I'm telling you right now, Cap and Iron Man are going to make the sacrifice and I'm not going to handle it well in the theater. I think one of them will, but we'll we'll save that discussion for because Jason, Wally, and Steve yeah. and I are recording the podcast tomorrow or today if you're listening to this show the day it comes out, and it will be ready for you the following day. Hmm. So that that podcast will be fresh out of the oven. Yes, it will. I can't wait. But so uh, we need to go and wrap this show up. We're going on almost an hour. <laughs> yeah, no, I just keep rambling. No, not you. It was like I'm excited to talk about Star Wars and Endgame. Like we could go for another hour. Oh, absolutely. But no, that's other than that, you know, check out the Derek Diamond Experience. Um Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at D Diamond Podcast, and the show's available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And uh, just go follow me on Twitter at JFunktastic, and you'll get all my stupid ramblings over there. They're fun ramblings. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I, just, I think they are anyway. Train of thought type of tweets, those type of things, you know. Yeah. Whatever goes through my weird head during the day. But uh, yeah. let's go ahead and roll the music. And oh, I didn't pull up our notes, my uh, end of show notes. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And go give us a couple of bucks a month over at Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and get us back up to that. $50 a month uh, tier where we can do our extra episode every month and, and do uh, more commentary tracks and things of that nature. And if you can't give us a buck a month, go leave us a review wherever you listen to the show. And uh, that's going to do it. So Derek, please tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. Monkey!